Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Good morning. It's good to see you. I, it's like, what is this thing shining in these windows? Maybe we're starting to get to summer. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> Uh, I know it's, we've been looking forward to that. We've got some family coming to visit this week and so really uh, looking forward to uh, some sun potentially. Well, today we enter into the second week of our Summer Psalms series and uh, we're spending several weeks in the Psalms doing our best to learn from the Psalms, to be encouraged in our faith and challenged uh, as we read through these. And today we're going to look at a fascinating psalm. I love this psalm because we actually find this psalm almost word for word in two different places in Scripture. We find it in Psalm 18. We're looking at Psalm 18 today. But we also find uh, this in the book of 2 Samuel in chapter 22, almost word for word. Psalm 18 is a psalm of David that he wrote after, that after he'd been delivered from unjust persecution from Israel's King Saul. And so to kind of get some context and some background, what I'd like to do is take us all through a story that's probably somewhat familiar, but I want to summarize quickly the relationship between David and King Saul because that's going to help us understand the power of Psalm 18. So we're going to jump to the Old Testament, and we're going to go to the book of 1 Samuel. We will get to Psalm 18, I promise. But in 1 Samuel, we're brought into what could make a super suspenseful political action thriller. Uh, it's, it's an incredible book with lots of stuff that goes on in it. We're introduced first to Samuel, or God's agent on earth. And in Old Testament terms, we know those guys as prophets. We're also introduced in the book of 1 Samuel to King Saul, who is the current leader of Israel, but who turns his back on God, and then God rejects him as king, not too far into the story. And then finally, we're introduced to a guy that you all know, that we've talked about a lot before, but we're introduced to David, the shepherd boy who God chooses as Saul's replacement, and he becomes a central figure in the Old Testament and in God's rescue plan for all humanity. So what I'd like to do is we're just going to hit some of the highlights just to give us the the majority of the context here. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, we read this. Then the Lord said to Samuel, that's God's prophet, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and he's refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. What we find happens next is in, a, a, in the next morning, there's a dramatic confrontation between Samuel and Saul, where Samuel tells Saul that God has taken away the kingdom from him and that he's given it to someone else. It's kind of intense drama in this conflict moment. And the next chapter begins, the very next chapter begins this way. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for King Saul. I have reje- or I, for Saul, I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. So you know the story. Samuel goes to the house of Jesse as the Lord instructed him. Jesse presents seven of his sons to Samuel. And Samuel looks at them all and says, Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. <laughs> Is there someone else? 
And Jesse responds by saying, yes, my youngest, David, but he's out in the field and, and you don't really want to talk to him. He's not your guy. And, uh, but Jesse sends for him and th- says this. So Jesse sent for him, that is David. He, I love this description. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. <laughs> okay, great. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, which is another kind of incredible thing that David the youngest is being elevated over all of his brothers in this honor-shame society, significant comment there. So David stood there among his brothers. Samuel took the flask of oil that he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Pretty dramatic already. And this, what happens, this... uh, After this, David's path to the throne begins. And he actually gets to know the outgoing king, King Saul, really well. In this really odd circumstance, David is actually hired by King Saul to be a musician in his court, to play the harp, to help Saul relax. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? He's bringing in his replacement to play music to help him calm down. As we know, that doesn't really, it's extremely ironic and it doesn't really work out like that. But what we also learn is that Saul and David, at least at first, they, uh, the scripture says that they, they build a loving relationship. Saul actually has a lot of affection for David early on. Uh, and there's a lot of layers of complexity to that relationship. But things uh, begin to go bad between David and Saul. Even though there's this close relationship, Saul begins to become very jealous of David. David's reputation begins to grow and Saul's reputation begins to diminish. And David, with the Lord's help, he does dramatic and incredible things like killing Goliath. And and because uh, he killed Goliath, the Israelites were empowered and they went and they won the war with the Philistines. So you have moments like this in 1 Samuel Chapter 18, it says, When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands, but, and David has killed his ten, tens, tens of thousands. <laughs> so you can see how Saul might really not like what's happening here. Maybe you can kind of empathize with how he might be uh, feeling. So Saul began to actively uh, undermine David's reputation, even trying to kill him by throwing spears at him when he's playing in the har- his harp in the court to help him calm down. <laughs> wow, crazy. It's like, David, don't go back, man. It's not a good idea. <laughs> so eventually... Recorded in the next several chapters, Saul begins to use all of the resources at his disposal to assassinate David. And David goes on the run. David, the one who was supposed to replace him. This conflict defines the rest of the book of 1 Samuel. See, it's high political drama, high theater here. It's fascinating stuff. So as we get into 2 Samuel, we get to read a lot more about David uh, and his life after he becomes king. And there's lots of ups and downs, lots of good and bad. And later in the book of 2 Samuel, David begins to reflect back 
on all that God has brought him through. He begins to reflect on all that has happened in his life. It's incredible. You should read First and Second Samuel. But then what happens is in Second Samuel chapter 22, we have recorded this very psalm that is Psalm 18, the psalm that we're looking at today. It's almost word for word exactly the same. It's incredible. So what I want to do is I want to read Psalm 18, at least some of it for us. It's long, so we're not going to read all of it. But I want you to hear these words that David wrote in Psalm 18 with the context that we just talked about. Knowing some of the story, we just glanced the surface of that, but it's really powerful when you read Psalm 18 in the context of the story that we just went through together. Psalm 18, starting in verse 1. I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise, and he saved me from my enemies. The ropes of death entangled me. Floods of destruction swept over me. The grave wrapped its ropes around me. Death laid a trap in my path. But in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. Then it says, Then the earth quaked and trembled. The foundations of the mountains shook. They quaked because of his anger. Smoke poured from his nostrils. Fierce flames leapt from his mouth. Glowing coals blazed forth from him. He opened the heavens and came down. Dark storm clouds were beneath his feet. And then later near the end of the psalm, it reads, He reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemies, from those that hated me and were too strong for me. They attacked me at a moment when I was in distress, but the Lord supported me. He led me to a place of safety, and he rescued me because he delights in me. What a powerful psalm, and that's only part of it. And it's even more powerful when you know the story behind it and maybe why David wrote some of these words. It's incredible. I think it's powerful knowing some of the story of David, that that the reason why he wrote these words, because the psalm does something else for us as well. It helps us, using David's story, to understand our lives beyond even God's uh, response, beyond our immediate circumstances. This is kind of a perspective enlarging psalm in terms of how God operates. And what do I mean by that? So as we track the story of David and Saul, you might find yourself, or at least you might imagine David fixating on the particulars of the story. Oh, that Saul guy, he's the worst, right? He might find himself uh, thinking, oh, he let himself be overcome with anger and jealousy. The actions that Saul took were reprehensible, I mean, God had anointed David. Why didn't he just accept that, right? The problem gets uh, really specifically focused. See, our perspective, one of the things this, this psalm helps us do is that our perspective can and often does, especially in the midst of difficulty or crisis, get very narrow. Have you ever experienced that? And in the narrowing of our perspective, we begin to lose the ability to see what's possible, especially with God's help. And that's one of the things that this psalm psalm is so helpful for. We see it here in Psalm 18, starting in verse 4. We read how David describes his reality. 
The ropes of death entangled me. Floods of destruction swept over me. The grave wrapped its ropes around me. Death laid a trap in my path. But in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. See, I love it because look at how David, the language that David uses is, it's, it's incredible. I mean, it's, he's overwhelmed to the point of death here. It's all he can see. But I'm so thankful. What he doesn't do is get so narrowly focused on that, that he forgets that God can help him out. <laughs> that he that he, he doesn't forget that there may be another way. And so he says, in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry reached to his ears. Incredible. Our perspective can and often does, especially in the midst of difficulty and crisis, get very narrow. And in the narrowing of our perspective, we lose the ability to see what's possible. We can lose the power of envisioning a different and renewed future, one that's actually possible with God's help. Amen? (laughs) Rewriting stories, renewing futures, and giving hope is what God does, and he's very good at it, right? (laughs) I love it. David resists the temptation in this psalm to linger in what seems overwhelming and impossible circumstances. And oh, don't we need to be reminded of that and be challenged by that and be called to that same thing. He recognizes that something can actually be different when God steps into our story and God will always step into our story. And just in case you haven't heard this before, all things are possible with God. Amen. This psalm jolts us into seeing God for who he is and what he can do. And it does it in a dramatic fashion. Because in Psalm 18, verse 7, here's how it describes God's response. Then the earth quaked and trembled. The foundations of the mountains shook. They quaked because of his anger. Smoke poured from his nostrils. Fierce flames leapt from his mouth. Glowing coals blazed forth from him. He opened the heavens and came down. Dark storm clouds were beneath his feet. He reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of the deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemies. Whoa! I love it because if you think about it, just in the context of God's response to David's situation, it's almost like God's response is a little overkill, right? I mean, God, you didn't need to like shake the whole earth, right? (laughs) But there's something more that's happening here. The psalmist, David, uses this creational and mythic imagery to describe the victory of God in his life, certainly. But it also helps us to understand that God's redemption in this story, as one commentator put it, was was, was cosmic and world changing. David names that, he names some of the most awe-inspiring parts of nature, the earth itself, the foundations of the mountains. It says that God roars out of heaven in the form of a thunderstorm. All creation quakes, and God approaches with lightning and thunder and hail and whatever else. It says that the earth trembled and quaked. It shook before him, and God uh, th- th- shook before his anger at the injustice that David was experiencing, but that All of us we're experiencing too. And I love it. God is going to set things right. 
As one commentator put it, the Lord is so powerful that he can even use the most fearsome parts of creation as mere tools in bringing about the deliverance of the king and you and me. Wow. I think David is using these concepts as a way of comparing our troubles and circumstances with God's ability to bring about a solution. In other words, they just don't compare. Now, that's not to belittle what we might be going through. Uh, Just read David's psalms, all their psalms that he writes too. The troubles that he faced are overwhelming on, on all levels of his experience. But what David is reminding us of, something that we can at times forget, is who God is and what God has at his disposal and how he goes about our redemption. It's powerful beyond what we can imagine. There's, and it's, it's complete. <laughs> God sees you and he knows you. He knows what you're going through. He loves you. He's with you. And he's working to redeem your story. Uh, and when he does, he just might go a little overboard. <laughs> because one of the, the main characteristics of the Old Testament, from God, of, of God from the Old Testament to the New Testament, is God's overabundance of grace <laughs> because he loves us. So another level of understanding this is that God's rescue is not just for the moment or for any particular situation, although it is that for David and for many of us. But we have to also understand that when God acts, he's, he has all of us and the future in mind. This is where it gets just incredible here. Another commentator wrote this. This psalm demonstrates the cosmic dimensions of our earthly struggles. Although David was battling enemies here on earth, the psalm portrays the whole earth rocking and quivering under the power of God as he thunders forth. The picture of God reaching down from heaven to save and rescue is a powerful foreshadowing of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? You see, it doesn't matter the size of the problem that you face, big or small, now or later. uh, This psalm reminds us that there is nothing that God can't use and that there is no problem bigger than God. Amen? (laughs) He does it for David now. He does it for us now. And even the psalm is working on multiple levels to say, yes, he's answering David's issue, but he's answering our, all of our issues. Do you need rescue now? God can do it. Do you need rescue in the future? God can do that too. Do you need eternal redemption and renewal? God can and has done that as well. It's the most mind-boggling part of this whole psalm, and I love it. That through David and all his suffering, God had in mind the rescue of David, but also the rescue of you and me. One commentary I read wrote this, David's struggle finally was not against the household of Saul or the Philistines. The early church's struggle was not finally against Pilate or the warnings of the Sanhedrin. Our struggle is not against any political party or forces of evil arrayed against us. In the final analysis, our struggle is a cosmic one. Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul is speaking of the great cosmic struggle against which God in Jesus Christ has prevailed through the cross and resurrection for all 
time. Through the story of David, through the line in the family of David, God not only rescues David, but he rescues us through Jesus Christ. Talk about a world-shaping, shaking event. Amen? We get all of this here in this psalm. That's what's so mind-boggling about this whole thing is that this psalm points to God's specific rescue of David and God's eternal rescue for all humanity through Jesus. Incredible. So this morning, as you recall the story of David, as you read this psalm, watching David work his way through all that he's faced, as he reminds us just how incredible God's rescue is, let me ask you, what challenges in your life seem overwhelming to you right now? And how, uh, and how might knowing more about Psalm 18, knowing all of the way that God responded specifically to David, but how he responds even more to all of us, how might knowing more about Psalm 18 increase your faith and trust God to meet your need and to bring you comfort? These are wonderful questions to take with you throughout the rest of the week as you uh, meditate and think about what's happening in Psalm 18. Worship team, would you come on back up? And as they come up, I want to read again just the first and the last part of Psalm 18. And I just want to encourage you to make this your prayer in the context of all that we've just talked about. Psalm 18, verse 1. I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise, and he saved me from my enemies. He reached down from heaven and he rescued me. He drew me out of the deep waters He rescued me from my powerful enemies, from those who hated me and who were too strong for me. They attacked me at a moment when I was in distress, but the Lord supported me. He led me to a place of safety. He rescued me because he delights in me. Incredible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful for this psalm. It is perspective altering. I'm so grateful that you you worked in the life of someone like David. A flawed individual who through uh, his faith in you teaches us so much about what it means to follow you. Teaches us so much about your good character, your nature, your love, your renewal, and your redemption. Not just for David in these moments, like in Psalm 18, but for all of us, for all time. God, I just stand in awe. As so often happens when I encounter Psalms like this, I find myself just heart open, mind open, hands open, wanting to worship you for what you've done. God, I'm... I just want to ask that you fill us with your spirit this week. Help us be those who can carry this message out into the world. Who can lay our troubles, our struggles, our crises at your feet, knowing that you just might shake the world to make it right. Love you, Jesus.
In your name we pray.